Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Kairos Partnerships. Bob, hello. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It's a, it's a beautiful day in Boise. And I love that I get to say that so often after 25 years in Portland, where it was rare. It was a little bit more rare. It's yeah. so great to to be in a place where it's more often than not. How are you doing, Doug? Yeah, I'm I'm doing I'm doing okay. I I think it it has been a beautiful few days here in in lovely Pennsylvania, but I don't know. The fall is awesome and rainy. So it's like mm. just it's pro- no nothing like Portland. I I've been in Portland during the fall and yeah, oh, yeah, I just I don't understand why jokers don't walk around with umbrellas. It makes no sense to me. But it's a it's a point of pride. It's uh, like you're not a real Oregonian if you use an umbrella. I I don't know. I just I don't like being that wet. So that's just me. I, but I I don't either. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I don't get Anyways, it. Anyways, I know we uh we we t- today we're we have a great guest. We're going to be talking about family and family formation, mm. family discipleship and um that that's always a it's always a unique conversation when talking with pastors, encouraging pastors yeah. and walking with pastors through, you know, how they do discipleship with family, um a lot of stories of heartache and hurt and and just all kinds of stuff. So, we figured we kind of jump into a little into that just a little bit this morning before we jump into the actual interview but yeah i mean bob you've been a pastor you have three children um and you've yeah how, how like what have been some interesting good bad hard parts of of discipling your own family you know i, I think one of the most challenging parts of it is yeah, when when you're a pastor, you have a lot of pastor friends. You see their kids. Uh you you hear about their rhythms, their spiritual rhythms in their home. You know, and we all kind of know at least on some level that comparison between churches is not healthy. But uh I don't know that we've really taken it deep enough uh to the point where we continue to tell ourselves that even down to the family level, like I, I hear about people who have these wonderful devotional rhythms with their kids all the way up into their teens. And I'm just, I just go, wow, that is so amazing. I wish, I wish we had done that. I wish we could have done that. Um, but on the flip side too, uh, it's interesting because you hear, you talk to a lot of pastors, kids and they'll say, yeah, it was very, it was very structured and we did this all the time. And, and it seemed to have promoted, like, as soon as they were out from under that, they, they tried to get away from it, mm. you know? Uh, and then others who, uh, they grew up in a house and it was like, no, we, we were really involved in church, but, and we prayed at meals, but we didn't have like family devotions or anything and they're doing great spiritually. And you start to think, well, maybe it isn't just up to me. <laughs> Maybe mm. the weight of my children's spiritual lives is not fully on me. I want to contribute to it well. I want to do it well. But uh, maybe the minute I start thinking that their future spirituality rests on what I do or don't do now, I'm in trouble. Mm. So, I, yeah, I, you know, we prayed with the kids. I did some some kind of fun catechism stuff with them when they were younger. It's, it, 
kind of faded out as they got older. And I think now we just try to have good conversations whenever we can about life and, and about what comes up, but we don't really have much structured right now. How about you? What's, what's it like in your house? Yeah, we, we've just let them kind of parent themselves and figure it no. um, <laughs> yeah. out. Who's, who's oldest? All right. You're yeah, in charge. You're in charge. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think being a youth pastor first and foremost and mm. being around senior pastor kids, there was this deep fear of, I don't want my kids to be like that uh, mm. early on. And, but at the same time, it's, I think we've really tried to wrestle with the balance of how do we, how do we grow our kids in the faith, but how do we also grow them as real people too? Mm. And so that's been one of the challenges for us that I think has been really good. So yeah, you know, prayed with our kids. We, we, I think we celebrated with our kids really well. I think if anything that mm. I could say Mare and I have done super well, more, more Mare. I, I give Mare all the credit for this, uh, for a lot of this, yeah. but we've, we've learned how to celebrate with our kids really well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's funny. I think there have been times where there is always that pressure of you hear someone in your church and, and how they do things and you're like, man, mm. that's amazing. And then you try to put it on your family and it just doesn't work. And and then you yeah. go into this where, you know, I'm a failure and how can I lead my family well and this and that and the other thing. But I think what's been really good is we've, I feel like we've also done the, like the good work of, of instilling this opportunity just to use normal day, every everyday normal yeah. things as discipleship opportunities. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's been really neat too, encouraging our, my children to, to have relationships with other men and women within the church who love Jesus and are, have faithful, you know, stuff. Uh, a couple of days ago, actually, we were sitting out by the fire pit and my son uh, said, yeah, Kyle and I were talking and, you know, cause I asked him, I said, Sometimes I, I try to bring up these like spiritual conversations with our kids after dinner and they don't, they don't flee like the plague. They don't run away hard, but they're sort of, I wouldn't say they're resistant, but they're not excited as excited as I would be to talk about some <laughs> of those things. And yeah. my son said something really, really important. And I'm just so glad that he said it. Um, he, he talked about how you know, sometimes it's like there's pastor dad and then there's dad dad. And I was like, well, what's the difference? He said, well, pastor dad is, is a little more focused on like work and he seems a little stressed out and some of those things. And dad dad seems to be just the normal dad that is just fully present. And although they weren't hmm. necessarily talking about the devotional dad, um, yeah. he just said, you know, we just want, we just want you to be, you know, just to be yourself and, and how that those are the most important things for them were just the conversations that happened around the table that weren't forced and how God has been part of those. Yeah. So it was, it was like sad. I felt sad for a moment because I'm like, man, there's a pastor dad and a dad, dad. That's like kind of sad. But then what I actually heard and what my son and I continue to talk about has just been, no, it's, it's you teaching me how to be a real person who loves mm -hmm. Jesus and does whatever it is that you do is, is more important than, you know, all the other pieces. And so I was, yeah. I was really grateful for that. And I, I think too, just if you're a pastor listening and you're thinking about your kids, you may have this thought, man, I should have done this, or I wish I, I did that. And the truth of the matter is we all have those spaces where we mm -hmm. wish we could have done something differently. 
Um, but we have now and we have the present and we have opportunities to continue to shape these things into the future. Um, my hope yeah. is that in listening to this, you don't, I, I think one of the dangers could be we overall overhaul our entire spiritual formation or a family. And maybe it's actually just adding one thing or just doing a simple thing. That's something that would change or, yeah. or add some yeah. benefit to people. Or try to do something that just doesn't fit for our family. Right. Can we, can we do those things which point us to Jesus, but which are uniquely us, our family? Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like for my family, it's, yeah, instead I'd of say looking what the Jones do and their, their <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. 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 Just figure, you know, you, you, you look at a whole toolbox and you say, how do I, how do I use, and I appreciate how our, our, our guests will talk about the prayer of examine with their family and how mm -hmm. it's been something that they've used over the years, but they've just framed it really differently. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. There, there's a freedom there, which I think is really good. So, yeah. Our guest today is Sarah Cowan Johnson. Sarah is a ministry trainer, consultant, and coach based in Providence, Rhode Island. With nearly 20 years of ministry experience in the church and parachurch, Sarah is passionate about equipping ministry leaders to flourish in their unique callings and contexts. We are talking to her today about her new book, Teach Your Children Well, a step-by-step -step guide for family discipleship. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you give us a bit of your own story and journey and just some of your context? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I have um, a ministry background, starting with uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I was on staff um, in the New England area for 13 years there. And then I served as the executive pastor at Sanctuary Church in Providence um, for a few years. Uh, it's a church plant. And so we planted a couple other congregations while I was serving there. And then um, since then, I have launched out on my own and I do ministry consulting and coaching. Um, and I also work with parents and that, you know, I do a number of different things. Um, and then, yeah, I'm also married and a mom. I've got two boys, ages 12 and eight. Oh, that's fantastic. 12 and eight year old boys are some of the best ages. Um, <laughs> Agree. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of, a lot of wrestling and fun. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Good stuff. So uh, before we jump, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about your newest book, uh, but really thinking about family discipleship. But before we jump into that, um, can you maybe even just roll back the curtain a little bit? Those are some pretty significant transitions moving from oh, like, yeah you know, university, you know, co college ministry to executive pastor to now kind of doing coaching and supporting and, and speaking to parents, like talk about the state of your soul through those things. And what were those transitions like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think so big transition, probably the, the biggest one for me, I mean, they were big in their own ways, but I worked with my husband for 13 years. Um, mm. and so he's, he, um, and I shared a role at one point, we were co-area directors. And so that was an incredible gift, honestly. I know not a lot of people uh, could say that they could work well with their spouse, but we really did. Um, and we were working together through the season of having little tiny kids. Um, so, but yeah, there was a 
point where I really felt like God was inviting us to differentiate. And um, that was, it was painful in some ways, but also ended up being a, a huge gift for both of us as we sort of learned what our unique callings are. So part of my coming on staff at the church, um, yeah, that was a big moment of no longer um, working with my husband, but it was also like, we get to come home at the end of the day and say, you know, Hey honey, how was your day? We've never been able to do that before. Um, and then, yeah, this last transition was really, uh, moving from, um, you know, I, I know you guys have a lot of executive pastors that you talk to, um, but moving from, you know, sort of a, a second chair role, which I really loved, but then moving into a space where I am working for myself and kind of filling my life with projects that are interesting to me. And, um, yeah, contributing in the ways that I feel like God's really uniquely um, invited me to to contribute. So that's been a big shift, not having a, a boss or an office or, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is fun when we talk to uh, to pastors and folks who work from home. Uh, it's like, you know, this is my office. It also right. looks like a crappy basement because <laughs> it is my right. crappy basement. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sarah, Bob. you've You've written this book, Teach Your Children Well, uh, a step-by-step guide for family discipleship. What, how did this book come about for you? Yeah. Uh, what's the story there? Yeah, I, um, so this, when I was serving as executive pastor, we didn't have a kids person at the time. And um, so, you know, I was trying to hire somebody and I was looking for, with our budget, I was looking for a 20 hour week position that would be mostly kids and some admin. And it was the the type of person I was looking for. I essentially wanted them to be a children's pastor who would be willing to do admin in 20 hours a week. It was, it was an unhirable position. We, we couldn't find somebody to, to do it. So I basically said, well, um, part of my role is leadership development. So what if I spend a year as sort of interim uh, developing a volunteer team, a lay team. And then we try again in a year to hire. Um, And so in that year of working with our kids team and trying to think about what do we want, what's our vision for children's ministry? What do we want to teach our kids and how? Um, That's when I came across these two statistics that kind of lit a fire under me. One is one that many of us are familiar with, the bad news of 50% of our kids uh, will likely leave the faith after they graduate from high school. So that just, that first one really, really distressed me um, as a mom, but also as a pastor. And then as I kind of did some reading and research, I found um, another statistic that kind of sent me on this trajectory of empowering parents, which is that 82% of kids whose parents talk about and practice their faith in the home go on to follow Jesus as adults. Parents are the number one predictor of a child's spirituality throughout their lifetime. And so when I began to think about that, I realized, oh, wow, we often think about pouring all of our energy and resources into our Sunday morning programming, which is important, and we have to do that. But shouldn't we pour an equal amount of time and energy into equipping parents? And so it became a seminar first for my church, where I was working with sanctuary parents. And then did that for some local churches in the area. And then the pandemic hit and suddenly everybody wanted to do things on Zoom. And it kind of became a thing I was doing pretty often. And then it became a book. It's so interesting because, you know, I appreciate the way that that this 
the story behind the book is just a very organic story, right? It kind of happened out of, uh, we won't say desperation, but I understand that. It's like, we've got kids, we have to figure out how to disciple them. What does that look like? Um, We want you to work a 70 hour a week job for 10 hours (laughs) and throw admin on top of it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you begin with that really hard statement of 50% of high school students. And and again, thinking about how parents play such an integral role. Um, And and my sense is that there's a lot of parents who are also pastors who are listening right now, um, who are thinking about about this and they're probably there's probably some fear like man yeah. what if what if that's my kid you know right. i mean i've got a son and a daughter what if one of them makes that decision the other one doesn't you know that's that's going right. to be really hard but um you know what would you say to the parents right now who are like really practically they've got two teenagers they're waking up every most sundays are like i don't want to go to church today right i don't right. want to do that i mean i don't think that's ever happened to most other christians but it has happened to me <laughs> a few times um <laughs> You know, like right. I, I think, because my fear is on some on some some hands. Like I've had conversations with with pastors who are dads and moms who are saying, like, I'm failing my kids. Like they don't right. even want to be there. And so, what am I going to do? And I know it's bigger than that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that um, there are absolutely no guarantees in this journey. And so, we can talk about all the ways that parents can um, be intentional and can really lean into what I believe is a calling from God. But our children are human beings who have their own will and will make a decision for themselves. Um, so what I like to um, kind of equate that to is when when my kids were babies, um, I'm the type of person that just thinks, you know, uh, if you do all the right things, like you put them down at this time and you keep the room dark and you put the white noise on that they will sleep. And my children did not sleep and it was very frustrating. And my husband would often just gently remind me, Sarah, they're, uh, they're not robots. They're, they're humans. You know, you can't program them to sleep. And that's how I feel about discipleship. We can, um, give them the opportunity to follow Jesus. There are things that we can do to partner with God in his work in the child's life, but we need to know that, um, we cannot manufacture little, you know, robotic disciples. And so, to the parents that feel like the weight of the world and their child's, you know, salvation is on them. That's just not true. It's on, it's on Jesus's shoulders and we're yoked to him and he's the one who does the work and we partner with him. You you talk in the book about two kinds of discipleship, responsive and proactive. And I'm wondering if you can tell us more about what you mean by those. Yeah. Yeah. So when we think of discipleship, that word, which is really just, you know, helping people to follow, walk the way of Jesus. Um, Often what comes to mind are the things that are in our control in a way. So the programs that we would do or the, um, with our kids, you know, the nighttime, you know, bedtime Bible reading or family devotions at the dinner table, those things that we take initiative, uh, we instigate. And that's what I would call proactive discipleship. That's what we, we do with our kind of proactive initiative. But before I talk about proactive discipleship. I always like to remind parents that there are also discipleship moments we can't plan for because God is initiating with our kids. And our job as parents is really to recognize his activity in our children's lives and to respond to that. And so responsive discipleship is just a way to think about 
looking for what I call God moments, but those moments where you're aware God's trying to get your kids' attention. And what do you do in that moment to help them respond to him? And um, can you share a story about, yeah. about like just from your own personal life with, with one of those responsive moments? Absolutely. Yeah. So when my youngest son was four, uh, we were having dinner and it was a, a pretty tough dinner time. So this particular child um, had received four timeouts in a row at dinner time. So <laughs> this is not to sort of say one strategy of discipline is better than another, but <laughs> this was clearly not working for us. Um, but he's got four timeouts in a row and he comes back to the table. And after every timeout, we always say the same thing, you know, um, the child or whoever needs to <laughs> apologize is saying, I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z. And then we would say, I love you and I forgive you. So that had happened four times. And then, um, but he just looked miserable. And so I said, what's, what's up, buddy? And he said, mom, my heart feels yucky. And so to me, that is a, that's a God moment. That's a moment where God is trying to get my child's attention. There's a little conviction happening, but this is in, in scripture, the best example of a, of a God moment in my mind is the burning bush, Moses and the burning bush. So Moses is just walking along, minding his own business. And then suddenly there's a bush on fire. God's trying to get his attention and he can pass on by and just ignore it. Or he can, what it says, turn aside. He turned aside to see this great sight. And so what I say to parents is when you see these, they're, they're not going to be as dramatic as a burning bush, but this, my heart feels yucky. Or why is that person asking for money on the side of the road, or I am devastated. My friend said something terrible to me today, or why did grandma die? You know, um, these are little burning bushes. These are God moments. And so the, the invitation is to, if you can turn aside. Um, and then, yeah. So from there, um, the kind of the, the way that I encourage parents to think about exploring this moment is the first step is to help our kids interact directly with God. So to trust that even a small child could pray and could even hear God's voice. And so we invited our four-year-old to um, picture, you know, having a conversation with Jesus to use his imagination. And um, we asked him, you know, yeah, just tell Jesus what's going on. And so he just kind of sat there and he's thinking. And then I said, you know, is Jesus doing anything or saying anything? And he said, yeah, Jesus is taking my yucky heart and giving me a new one. Mm. And so that was just a, that was an example of, oh, wow. You know, the Lord is speaking to our little ones. Um, mm. Yeah. And then from there, you know, you test anything your child is hearing against scripture. And so there's yeah, a scripture in Ezekiel that talks about removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Mm. Um, and then from there, we actually wove that idea of giving Jesus our yucky heart into our little timeout liturgy. So oh, that is beautiful. Uh, it, and along with that idea of kind of responsive and proactive discipleship, you also talk a, a, about a grace and challenge matrix, mm -hmm. which I found really intriguing. Uh, can you describe that and tell us what it means and why it's important? Yeah, yeah. So um if you're familiar with like a two by two matrix, so it's like a, you know, a grid with four quadrants. boxes. Yes. Yeah. Quadrants. Um, that's like my, <laughs> my favorite kind of chart. I love charts. Um, and yeah, if you had um, grace on one axis and challenge on the other, I think some of us 
in our walk with Jesus or in our discipleship journey tend to be high grace people um, where, you know, we kind of lean into the grace of the Lord, which is appropriate and good and wonderful, but it can be a place where we kind of feel like we're all set sometimes. And um, on the other side, we can, if we have sort of high challenge without grace, that's a place where, again, we feel like it's all up to us. There can be a lot of shame or mistakes that are made. And my vision is that this journey would be both high grace and high challenge. So it's where we we know that we're loved, we're going to make mistakes, but we um, are able to do that in a way that doesn't uh, produce shame because we're in um, yeah a high grace environment. And so it's high grace, high challenge. Um, we want to um, take this seriously and press ourselves to um, take initiative and kind of not settle for we're all set, but really um, yeah, lean into the Lord's invitation to partner with him in the work he's doing in the world. So high grace, high challenge, we need both. Um, but each one of us probably has a tendency towards one or the other. I think that that's so helpful because it it feels like there are uh, like I've had con- I can think of conversations I've had with parents and families who've had these these moments of conviction uh, like man I need to do more right I've slacked off uh, now I need to correct course you see shame starting to build in or 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 you see the other end of like ah you know I bring him to church God will take care of it right. you know I've right. put him in the right place um, but. I think particularly I'm thinking about the parents who feel like they need to try and overhaul everything, right? They have right. this moment where they've, they've gone to this event. They, they hear this stuff. They're like, we, we've done everything wrong, you know, which is not true. <laughs> um, but, but it seems like what you're saying is, is you're saying actually it, it it's kind of like using everyday life, ordinary stuff Absolutely. as these moments for discipleship. So Talk a little bit about like, where would one start? They feel like they need to overhaul everything, but you're saying you don't have to. Here's some places to start. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So I think one of the um, one of the barriers or challenges that often comes up when talking to parents is the idea that who feels like they have more time to add another priority or another thing to their life, especially if they feel like, oh, I need to maybe grow in this area. And one thing that I love to sort of promise when I do seminars and stuff is I actually think you can make a huge amount of uh, difference in the spiritual life of your lives of your children without adding any time to your day. Like, it, do you think that's possible? I actually think it's possible. So um, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, when Israel is about to go into the promised land and they've been wandering around in the desert. Um, the, there's a danger that in the promised land, they would forget God. You know, they've, they've been totally dependent on manna in the desert. They've been operating in this monocultural context and they're about to head into the land flowing with milk and honey and all these other cultures who worship other gods. And so there's this sense, like what, what's going to happen? Are they going to forget God? And the strategy there in Deuteronomy six is teach your children. Well, essentially it's, um, talk, talk about these commands with your children impress them on your children and talk about them as you walk along the road, as you sit at home, as you lie down and as you get up. And so that idea of what are the routines that already exist in your family life 
what are the, the times where you have family time by default? So it could be a lot of families with little tiny kids. Uh, they establish bedtime routines. Um, older kids, you might have a consistent dinner time routine. Teenagers, maybe it literally is just in the car when you're like taking them around to their activities, but you probably have some family time or one-on-one -on -one time with each kid by default. And so looking for those places and then saying, what are some simple spiritual practices that I can add in to my dinner time, my bedtime, my car ride, even for, again, little kids, bath time, uh, meal time. So that's, that's kind of where I would start is pick one family routine and one spiritual practice and start small. Yeah. You, as you were just describing childhood, you really broke it down into like three stages. And I believe that's what you do in the book, zero to six and seven to 11 and 12 to 18 and beyond. Uh, can you tell us more about what those stages represent in the lives of our children and maybe more of what discipleship could look like in those yeah. stages? Yeah. So this is a model from John Westerhoff, um, who identifies three developmental stages of faith in children. And so little kids, uh, zero, and these are all rough. So zero to six ish. It's like basically until school age. Um, it's called the experiential stage. And these kids, their primary expression of faith, um, or the way that they sort of, um, engage God is through experience. And so it is, um, the routines, it's the mimicked prayers and songs. It's, um, the, the embodied practices, um, they, they don't have yet the ability to, you know, cognitively comprehend um, theology or even the prayers that they're saying sometimes. And yet, based on their development, like that is a real and full expression of faith. Um, it's God using the community and the parents um, like a, like a handhold to him in the, the form of their parents' prayers, you know, and their parents' songs. Um, so little kids, yeah, it really is um, uh, helping them to experience the actions of faith. Um, and then moving into grade schools, like 7 to 11-ish, um, it's the affiliative stage, which is they, um, the primary mode of engagement is belonging to a spiritual community. So the, the idea here is I believe because my people believe. I believe because we believe. And so usually that starts with the family. And then often it kind of moves by the end of that stage to the peer group or the church. Um, but really it's the child wants to be part of this group that believes and their faith uh, really is, um, they see themselves as part of a tribe. And um, so the, the really interesting thing is that Westerhoff says that a lot of uh, churches in the West have sort of stopped the discipleship process there. And so, cause the next stage, which is the adolescent teenage years, their primary mode of engagement is searching and questioning. That is how they express faith. And so that's terrifying sometimes to churches and to, to parents. And so if we don't enable our kids to move through that stage uh, freely. Um, and then they say they leave for college or something with that. I believe because we believe level of faith, it becomes very difficult to know how do I follow Jesus as an adult when my spiritual community is no longer here, my church, my family. So um, yeah, so those stages really do help inform what spiritual practices might help your child to best encounter God. What's going to work for a 12 year old is not 
the same as what's going to work for a three-year-old. And that seems obvious, but um, yeah, it can be helpful to look through, you know, some ideas of what are some ways to engage uh, your three-year-old in spiritual practices um, that are specific to a three-year-old. But that works the other way too. What works for a 12-year-old is not going to maybe work for a 17-year-old. That's right. And for those of us who have kids at both of those ages, we really have to think very individually with each of them. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. And what you may enjoy in your own walk with God, your kid, may it may not connect with your child. So that the other thing is learning what what's your child's sort of spiritual temperament in a way. So I have two boys and they're very different in how they relate to the world and they're very different in how they relate to God. So I have one who's a reader and a thinker and asks all the really, really tough factual questions. And then I have another who is a lover and a feeler and just, you know, asks all the people questions and wants to just, yeah, he's just sort of a, a, but really wants to know about the emotions questions. Mm. Yeah, I think there's there's some I'm thinking about the parent right now who feels like they missed out on on that early stage. Mm-hmm. Right? Like maybe maybe I'm thinking about a single mom who's had like a really like a, an amazing transformation or or church, she felt church wasn't a safe place when her kids were small. Yeah. And now she's coming into a space and she feels like, "Man, I've got these 7 to 11-year-olds, but we missed that that stage like how do we, I mean, is that, yeah, what do we do then? Like, how, how, how do we help those families kind of like, you know, do you have to go back and start over or, or do you just start where you are or what? Right. Well, I, yes, you just start where you are. It's never too early and it's never too late to start uh, leaning into family discipleship. The thing about this, even this model is it's not a linear uh, progression where you move from here to here to here. You actually just, your faith grows and it transcends and includes the previous stage. So even in adult faith, we still have experienced faith and we have affiliative faith and we have searching faith. And so for a, you know, eight-year-old who's starting the journey there, they're going to be developing both experienced faith and affiliative faith. And so it's never too late to start, um, And, you know, when I make lists of practices per stage, I will say many of the practices from the previous stage still apply. So go back and look at the practices, you know, and some may feel like they're too little kid, but the the ideas behind them still absolutely apply. That's really helpful. What could, I mean, just thinking super nuts and bolts practical, what are, what are some of the discipleship practices that you, yeah, just that, that you love. You're like, these Mm -hmm. ones are super good. I've never done anything with my family. I really want to get started here. Like two or three or four really simple, really engaging practices. Yeah. Great. So one that, um, works for all ages, but you sort of adjust it based on age is what I call a God hunt. Um, and this is something my family did with me when I was a kid it's a version of the examen, if you're familiar with that um, adult spiritual practice. But so a God hunt is really where we're like for little kids, it's like the idea of a bear hunt. We're like going on a bear hunt. We're going on a God hunt. We're looking for where did we notice God today? Or maybe it's this week. Um, and so it's helping our kids to understand what does God look like in our everyday life? So 
Maybe it's um, an experience of one of the fruit of the spirit, a moment of joy or peace, or maybe it's a friend or a family member who actually was displaying Christ-likeness and, and that reminded us of God, or maybe it was in a moment of worship, um, you know, at church or something like that. But how do, how do we recognize God in the world? And so for little kids, yeah, God hunt. Um, as they get older, um, you don't need to use, you know, we could call it the examine or something else, but it's the questions change. Um, you know, so for tiny, tiny kids, we used to ask our kids, when, when did you feel happy today? Or when did you feel joyful today? Who was with you when you felt that as they get older? Um, now we're asking, yeah, when did you feel close to God today? Um, and that's a question that I think as an adult is a question that, you know, my husband and I do that at bedtime, we do the examine together. Um, so that's a practice that kind of ages up, um, that really works with all ages, but you can do that at the dinner table in three minutes. Um, you know, everybody go around and share one thing. So that's one. Um, another one that was hugely impactful, uh, to me as a child was something that my parents did every week. Um, so we kept a Sabbath, which I do think that's a, that's a, big thing if you're not used to keeping a Sabbath to have a 24 period of uh 24 hour period of no work and all play, family, rest, worship. Um, and so that's a wonderful discipline. It does if you're just starting, that may feel like a big high bar. But um what they would do on the Sabbath is we would have a special meal and they would do something called a family blessing practice where they would go around the table and we'd put one person in the hot seat. And everybody else has to bless them. And this is something I think our culture doesn't do a good job uh, teaching us how to bless people. So we know how to praise people. We know how to give compliments about things people uh, do well. Uh, but blessing has to do with who they are and um, how they image God. Blessing has to do with what is deeply true about them and not something that has to do with their abilities. And so teaching kids, how can you bless your sibling? And not tell them, you know, um, yeah, you're so smart or you're good at this, but actually you are generous. You are joyful. You're creative. Um, so that's something that um, I think can be uh, really powerful. Mm, those are fantastic. I thank you so much for them. Yeah. And um, also, I love your pictures in, all throughout your book and your <laughs> diagrams. Fantastic work, super Thanks. good, especially the camouflage, the picture of the camouflage. I, anyways, um, awesome. <laughs> but Thanks. I'm also thinking too, you know, come one of the things that was interesting during COVID is, is a lot of families had to really spend a lot of time together. Yep. And now that things are sort of moving out of that, you're seeing like the rise of sports and the rise yep. of music and like all these different things. And you talk about prioritizing. Yep. So even just thinking like how, what are some really what are some helpful ways for parents to begin to think about prioritizing though, like those activities or even figuring out ways that how those things sort of intertwine with our faith? Um, yeah. 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 yeah well, um, so this could be like a whole hour podcast in and of itself, but I do think there is something that drives parents. And sometimes it is some anxiety and fear about their kids' future or their kids' opportunities that kind of drives us to be really, really, really busy um, and to kind of get our kids into every possible opportunity. And so that is something that I think is just worth paying attention to if you feel like you're running yourself ragged and your kids are running themselves ragged. Uh, what's 
driving that. So that that's sort of a, again, that could be a whole nother conversation. But I do think, um, you know, I think the questions and conversations about um, Sunday sports, that those are tough. Um, and I know families that have made both sets of choices. You know, I know families who won't participate in Sunday sports so their kids can participate in church. And I know families who um, try to squeeze in, you know, church things around sports. So I think looking at that carefully and thinking about, yeah, if I were, if someone else were to come and do an audit of what they thought mattered in my family life, what would they notice? What would they see? What would they think? Um, and then I do think, uh, I do think as we're shuttling our kids, you know, how do we take advantage of the time that we have with them um, to pray with them in the car, to uh, look for God in the car, you know, um, how do we take advantage of that time? and repurpose it. Mm. I feel like this, I would love to actually have that hour long conversation I know, right? <laughs> because I, I really do think there's just so many conversations that I feel like I have on a regular basis. And it's, it's a challenge for my family too, but just to think about like, how do we, how do we actually think? Well, how do we invite the spirit into these conversations and even just counsel for others? Right. Because at yeah. the end of the day, you know, I'm going to run my kid to soccer for the next 12 years. And then he's going to be so sick of soccer by the time he gets to college, he's just done. Right. And so I think there's that part of me that just wonders, but, and it's not to pick on soccer. That's a great, great game too. But I think to put those opportunities as like outside of our spirit formation, but figure out ways to think through that help helpful, which I thought was really good. And even in terms of family audits and, and how we can begin to think yeah. through that is just super helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that is uh, true is that if we're going to prioritize discipleship, it's going to make us different. And so I think that's something that um, I talk a lot about that in the book. But I, I think that, um, yeah, not only is it going to make us and our kids <laughs> very different from the world around them, but even in the church, I think people, families who get really serious about family discipleship, um, yeah, they, they're family life looks different. So the 24 hour Sabbath, you know, that that's something that I think families that take that really seriously. Yeah, that is not a, that is not a normal thing in our culture. And yet I think that can be so valuable. Mm. Um, and it will involve saying no to some things. Mm. Yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, could you leave our pastors and leaders and electricians and parents and <laughs> stay-at-home parents, just a, a benediction or a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lord, um, thank you for this conversation. And I just pray a blessing over all who are listening. Lord, may they know um, deeply your grace that, um, yeah, reminds them that they're human. And may they hear uh, compellingly your invitation uh, to take initiative in the lives of their children or in their churches, in the lives of the families in their churches. Um, may we, uh, yeah, say yes to your invitation to join you in the work that you want to do in our kids. And um, we want to see, Lord, uh, a generation of children who are walking confidently with you. And so may these parents and leaders be part of uh, what you're doing to equip and send them into the world confidently. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of MMP. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you signed up for the Kairos Partnerships free weekly newsletter called Five Things in Five Minutes? It's free and it's delivered to your inbox every Tuesday morning. It provides valuable thoughts, links, questions, and quotes to equip you for the ministry and leadership journey. And the entire thing can be read in five minutes or less. To sign up, log on to kairospartnership.org slash 5T5M. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.